0: Hello, Knowledge Seekers. In this episode of 20-Minute Books, we're delving into The Cold War by Robert J. McMahon. Published in 2003, this gripping book gives us a comprehensive view of the geopolitical struggle that spanned the second half of the 20th century. Starting from the immediate aftermath of World War II, McMahon masterfully guides us through the progression of the Cold War, dissecting its roots and pivotal moments. McMahon is a respected American historian and scholar, specifically acclaimed for his work on the Cold War and US foreign relations. Currently a professor at Ohio State University, he has authored numerous books, including The Cold War in the Third World, Colonialism and Cold War, and The Cold War on the Periphery. This episode is a must listen for history enthusiasts students of military strategy and foreign relations, and anyone keen on understanding one of the defining conflicts of the 20th century. Let's uncover the historical layers of the Cold War together in this episode of 20-Minute Books. The Cold War, a very short introduction. Introduction unlock the mysteries of the grand conflict of the last century. Picture this, a saga packed with crucial events, influential leaders, and monumental shifts spanning over four decades. The list seems endless, from the space race, the Korean War, the Suez Crisis, to key figures like Harry Truman and Nikita Khrushchev. Yes, you've got it right. We're journeying through the Cold War, The defining conflict that shaped the second half of the 20th century, leaving its indelible mark on nearly every part of the world. But wait, let's pause and ponder. What is the essence of the Cold War? What ignited this global feud? How and why did its flames reach far and wide? And ultimately, what quenched it? This narrative is dedicated to answering these profound questions and more. Through this audio journey, you'll discover the critical role that Germany played in kick-starting the Cold War, explore why the battlegrounds then expanded into Southeast Asia, and understand why a significant part of this conflict unfolded in the developing world. So, ready to decode history and unravel this intricate web? Let's dive in. Part 1. Amidst the ruins of World War II, the Cold War takes its first breath. Imagine the year 1945. Large parts of Europe and Asia were nothing but scarred landscapes, the devastating aftermath of the six-year-long World War II. With 60 million lives lost, nearly the same number displaced and homeless, cities like Tokyo, Vienna, Manila, Cologne, Dusseldorf and Hamburg were mere skeletons of their past, a grim testament to the war's wrath. But it wasn't just the physical that lay in shambles. The world's international order, for centuries dominated by Western European nations, had been shattered, giving way to two rival superpowers, the United States and the Soviet Union. Rising from the ashes of this destructive war, their rivalry laid the groundwork for a new kind of conflict, the Cold War. So, what fed this discord between the U.S. and the Soviet Union? Well, it all hinged on ideological differences. The US and its Western European allies, staunch believers in capitalism, viewed Soviet communism as a contagion that had to be quarantined. This led to almost two decades of economic pressure and diplomatic isolation imposed on the Soviet Union, starting from its inception in 1917. However, World War II found these rivals reluctantly allied against a shared enemy. Nazi Germany. But don't mistake this for a budding friendship. The alliance was nothing more than a marriage of convenience, marred by disagreements even on war strategies. The Soviet Union, struggling against the formidable Nazi invasion, wanted the US and UK to open a front against Germany immediately. On the other hand, the US and UK chose to prioritize North Africa and Italy, much to Soviet displeasure. By the time they finally invaded German-occupied Normandy in 1944, over 80% of the Nazis' military divisions were being held back by the Soviets. With no common enemy to unite them, their differences only grew starker. A power vacuum needed to be filled, a war-ravaged world needed to be rebuilt, and there was a marked lack of consensus on the way forward. The stage was set. The curtain was about to lift on the Cold War. Part 2. In the aftermath of war, the U.S. sketches its post-war vision. The curtain falls on World War II, and a critical question looms in the air. What shape would the post-war international order take? This pressing issue occupied the discussions at the end-of-war conferences among the leaders of the U.S., U.K., and the Soviet Union. On the one hand, all parties agreed on the need for restoring international stability but the pathway to achieving this. That's where things got murky. The Soviet Union and the US each held a unique vision for this new world order, informed by their history, ideology, interests, and objectives. Naturally, these divergent visions clashed, paving the way for increasing conflict as the superpowers began pursuing their respective goals. To unravel the intricate web of this conflict, Let's delve into the mindsets and aspirations of these superpowers as they crossed the threshold into the post-war era, starting with the U.S. key insight. The U.S. strive for a favorable balance of power in Eurasia, an extensive global sphere of influence, and superior military strength. World War II offered three crucial lessons to U.S. strategists. First, they recognized the need to prevent any nation or coalition from seizing control over Eurasia, particularly the vital Eurasian heartland bridging Europe and East Asia, with its wealth of natural resources, industrial infrastructure, skilled labor, and military facilities. Control over this region was tantamount to having the reins of global power. The Axis powers had once held sway over most of this area. To prevent history from repeating itself, The U.S. and its allies were determined to maintain a favorable balance of power in the region. Secondly, the Japanese assault on Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, made it abundantly clear that the U.S. couldn't count on the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans for defense against overseas enemies anymore. Technological advancements in warfare had left the U.S. exposed to long-distance attacks. According to American strategists, the remedy for this vulnerability was expanding the nation's sphere of influence by establishing a global network of U.S.-controlled air and naval bases. This strategy would enable the United States to project its military might worldwide and neutralize threats before they had the chance to harm U.S. territory. The final lesson from the war. To pull off these ambitious plans, the U.S. needed to uphold its superior military strength. And that brings us to our next segment. Part 3. Power and Prosperity the twin pillars of America's post-war strategy. The end of World War II found American strategists eager to establish global military dominance. Their grand plan required a series of interconnected objectives. First off, an unmatched navy and air force was an absolute must, complemented by an imposing military presence in the Pacific. They also needed the U.S. to remain the indomitable force in the Western Hemisphere it was also crucial for the U.S. to take a leading role in the post-war occupation and restoration of the defeated Axis countries, Italy, Germany, and Japan, to prevent them from becoming adversaries again. Lastly, they aimed to safeguard their monopoly on the deadliest weapon in their arsenal, the nuclear bomb, a tool of destruction only they possessed at the time. However, Military might was only one side of the coin in the American strategist vision for the post war world order. The next insight The U.S. aimed to couple its global military power with multilateral economic relationships based on free trade. U.S. political and business leaders were set on removing international barriers to trade, investment, and currency conversion to allow the free flow of goods and money across the globe. Their belief was simple. An economically open world equated to a more prosperous, peaceful, and stable world. Their logic rested on the premise that economic barriers fuel rivalry and conflict between nations, with World War II serving as the most extreme example. Conversely, they thought free trade would bring capitalist nations closer, fostering a network of multilateral economic relationships and allowing capitalism to thrive bringing widespread benefits sure this vision carried an air of idealism but it was not without self-interest by the end of world war ii the u.s stood as the world's leading capitalist nation producing half of the globe's goods and services with unrestricted global trade the u.s stood to gain considerably moreover U.S. strategists believed that prosperity under capitalism would render communism less attractive to the masses in Western Europe and Asia. This would help keep communism from spreading and potentially sparking unrest or revolutions, thereby destabilizing the U.S.-led world order. Thus, American strategists saw their economic and military objectives as inextricably linked A mix of unrivaled military power and collective capitalist prosperity would not only reinforce the order they envisioned, but also dissuade any opposition or threats to it. Part 4. Securing the Realm – The Soviet Union's Post-War Objectives As World War II neared its end, the U.S. got a head start on its post-war plans. In late 1944, it laid the groundwork for a world underpinned by free trade, with a string of economic agreements at the Bretton Woods Conference. This paved the way for the formation of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. By 1946, the U.S. State Department had drawn up a comprehensive map of essential sites for U.S. military bases, featuring locations in Ecuador, Panama, Peru, Cuba, Canada, Greenland, Iceland, Senegal, Liberia, Morocco, Burma, New Zealand and Fiji, most of the world's leading powers were slowly falling into step with the US's global vision. The UK and France embraced this willingly, while defeated enemies like Germany and Japan had little choice. But there remained one major stumbling block, the Soviet Union, with its contrasting post-war vision. The main takeaway? The Soviet Union sought to protect itself by keeping Germany weak, and creating a buffer zone in Eastern Europe. The Soviet Union had paid a heavy price during World War II, with the loss of at least 25 million lives, many during the Nazi invasion of their territories. This invasion saw the Nazis occupy nine out of the 15 Soviet republics and lay waste to 1,700 Soviet cities and towns, 70,000 villages and hamlets, 31,000 factories, and millions of acres of crops. Rewind 25 years, and the same regions were invaded during World War I, when they formed part of the Russian Empire. The common denominator on both occasions was Germany, and the invasion route was via Poland. Reflecting on this historical backdrop, Soviet strategists outlined two chief objectives for the post-war world order in Europe. Firstly, they intended to keep Germany weak to eliminate any future threats. Secondly, they planned to construct a buffer zone around their territories, with a particular focus on Poland, but also including the other Eastern European countries that bordered the Soviet Union. These objectives led the Soviet Union to establish or support communist governments in East Germany, Poland, and several other Eastern European countries like Bulgaria, Romania, and Hungary. These countries became the Soviet Union's satellite states. This clash of visions for the post-war world order between the Soviet Union and the US set the stage for the ensuing Cold War, a narrative we will delve into in the next segment. Part 5. How discord over post-war Germany fueled the beginnings of the Cold War in Europe. The conundrum that plagued both the US and the Soviet Union as World War II drew to a close was this. What should be done with Germany? This wasn't a theoretical question, as both superpowers had substantial stakes in the matter. The western half of Germany was under the control of the US and its allies, while the Soviets held the eastern half. In talks towards the end of the war, both sides tried to reach consensus over whether and how to reunite the divided Germany. However, they ended up agreeing to disagree, and so began a new chapter in history. The core point here, Disagreements over the fate of post-war Germany sparked off the Cold War in Europe. For American strategists, Germany was a pivotal piece in their vision for the post-war global order. That vision hinged on the swift recovery of the ravaged economies of Western Europe. Without these nations bouncing back, the US would be left without formidable military allies or trading partners in Europe. And a key factor in fueling this recovery was a resurgent US aligned Germany, equipped with industrial infrastructure, a skilled workforce, and technological prowess capable of driving Europe's economic growth. However, this idea of a powerful Germany was in direct conflict with the Soviets' post war aspirations. They wanted a world where the threat of another German invasion was non existent. Meanwhile, American strategists were apprehensive that, unless the U.S. oversaw the rebuilding efforts, a united Germany might eventually veer towards the Soviet Union or declare neutrality. They decided that maintaining a divided Germany was a lesser risk. Stalemate ensued, and the U.S. and Soviets grew progressively hostile towards each other, starting over Germany, but rapidly encompassing wider Europe. From 1946 to 1949, the US reinforced its economic and military ties to Western Europe through the inception of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, and the execution of the Marshall Plan, a $13 billion aid scheme. Meanwhile, the Soviets tightened their grip over Eastern Europe, intensifying political control over their Eastern satellite states, orchestrating a communist coup in Czechoslovakia and quashing anti-communist resistance in Hungary. By the close of 1949, East and West Germany were separate entities, with a Soviet-leaning government in the East and a U.S.-affiliated one in the West. The so-called Iron Curtain had descended over Europe, splitting the Soviet-dominated East from the U.S.-led West, and thus the Cold War was set in motion. Part 6 the rise of communism in Southeast Asia, a fresh battleground for the Cold War. As events unfolded in Europe, the US and the Soviet Union found their worst apprehensions seemingly turning into reality. For the Soviets, it was the perceived threat from a resurgent West Germany, the more economically potent half of their previous nemesis. Reeling from the war's impacts, It was now quickly rebuilding with the backing of the US and its allies. The Americans, on the other hand, perceived an equally grave threat surfacing in the East, where the Soviets seemed to be carving out a path to wield control over Eurasia. The post war ambitions of both superpowers seemed under threat. It was enough to spark tension. But this was just one of the two key theaters where the Cold War would soon extend its reach. Here's the main point. With communist insurgencies springing up across the region, Southeast Asia transformed into another battlefield for the Cold War. In late 1949, China's protracted civil war concluded, with victory tilting towards the Chinese communist movement on the mainland. By the year's end, the Soviet Union and the newly proclaimed People's Republic of China were comrades in arms. The following year, North Korea, which leaned toward the Soviets and shared their communist ideals, attacked the U.S.-aligned South Korea, enjoying support from both China and the Soviet Union. Subsequently, the Soviet Union and China recognized the newly formed communist state of North Vietnam diplomatically, while China commenced furnishing military equipment and training to the North Vietnamese communists, thereby threatening the French-backed and U.S.-supported South Vietnam. Around the same period, Communist and anti colonial revolts were sweeping across other parts of Southeast Asia, territories previously colonized by Western European countries, the US and Japan. In fear of the region increasingly gravitating towards the Soviet Union and China, the US extended economic and military aid to its allies in South Vietnam, British Malaya, Burma, Thailand, the Philippines, and Indonesia. In 1950, the US committed its military to a devastating conflict in Korea and over the ensuing 25 years, it would find itself entrenched in an even more catastrophic war in Vietnam. The particulars of these events are complex and form a challenging narrative to comprehend. However, stepping back reveals a larger, more graspable picture. Part 7. Third World Territories. The Forefront of the Cold War Battleground. What made Southeast Asia pivotal to the Soviet Union and the U.S. starting from the 1950s? Essentially, given their existing enmity stemming from events in Europe, the expansion of the conflict into Asia perpetuated a perception that a blow to their opponents signified a win for them. The U.S. envisaged the post-war landscape extending to East Asia, particularly Japan whose economic sustenance depended on Southeast Asia as trading partners. If the majority of the region embraced communism and aligned with the Soviet Union and China, this vision would be at risk. Japan could even sway towards communism. Both sides were aware of this, fueling one to endorse communism and the other to resist it in the region. However, this is only a fragment of a broader narrative. The central point is this, The Cold War was predominantly waged in and over what was then referred to as the Third World. Despite these terms being regarded as outdated today, during the Cold War, the U.S. and its allies were labeled as the First World, or the West, while the Soviet Union and its allies constituted the Second World, or the East. The remainder of the globe, encompassing most of Africa, Asia, and Latin America, was known as the Third World. Prior to World War II, a significant portion of the Third World was under Western colonial rule. Post-war colonial governments were increasingly overthrown, replaced by independent nations. As these newly formed countries and movements surfaced, a critical question emerged. Should their alliances lean towards the West or the East? Unsurprisingly, both the US and Soviet Union had their skewed perspectives on the matter. Throughout the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, they made these viewpoints known through a variety of economic, political, militaristic, and covert measures. They offered military training, equipment, and funds to movements and nations they desired to woo. They orchestrated coups and assassinations to undercut those they wished to undermine. In some instances, they even waged war, as seen in the U.S. involvement in Vietnam and the Soviets in Afghanistan. Almost all actual wars during the Cold War unfolded in the Third World. The spoils of these conflicts, economic resources, military bases, allies, and prestige went to the victors, whether Soviets or Americans, contingent on who emerged victorious. However, it was predominantly the inhabitants of the Third World who bore the brunt. Out of the estimated 20 million human lives lost during Cold War conflicts, a staggering 19,800,000 hailed from the Third World. Part 8. The finale of the Cold War, where it all started. Europe. In a nutshell, the remainder of the Cold War unfolded as a series of scenarios, more or less echoing the themes we've explored so far. Across Southeast Asia and the wider Third World, the US and the Soviet Union persistently sparred with each other, indirectly, Through their backing of pro US or pro Soviet regimes and movements. From the 1950s to the 80s, the conflict experienced periods of ebb and flow, witnessing moments of heightened and reduced tensions between the superpowers. Occasionally, these crises escalated to a degree that almost nudged the nations towards the precipice of war. In the 1950s and 60s alone, points of contention flared up in Iran, Guatemala, Indochina the Taiwanese Strait, the Suez Canal, Lebanon, Indonesia, Cuba, and the Congo. Did you notice the conspicuous absence of any European nations in this list? What transpired in Europe? Let's delve into the climax of the story. The main takeaway here is, the Cold War drew to a close in the very place it was kindled, Europe. Europe, particularly Germany, was the original hotspot of the Cold War. However, starting from the 1950s, it evolved into the most stable theater of the conflict. Apart from a few crises centering on Berlin, the situation remained comparatively peaceful, albeit frosty. To put it simply, each side was grudgingly content to let the other maintain its sphere of influence in its half of Europe. The two superpowers and their European allies were heavily armed, rendering any direct confrontation a path to catastrophic devastation for both parties. This became all the more apparent when the Soviets developed nuclear weapons and both sides were sucked into an arms race in the 1950s and 60s. In addition to significantly boosting their conventional military forces, each side amassed an increasing number of nuclear missiles to either keep up with or outpace the other. By the end of the 1960s, Each had stockpiled thousands of nuclear missiles. If they were to engage in an outright war, they'd effectively obliterate each other, a dire scenario termed as mutually assured destruction. Given this reality, neither side was eager to risk a direct conflict, making the prospect of either side launching an invasion on European soil increasingly far-fetched. In the 1980s, Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev Concluded that it was futile to keep draining resources to protect against an invasion that was unlikely to occur. In 1988, he scaled back the Soviet Union's armed forces, reduced its military footprint in Eastern Europe, and eased its hold on the region. Within a span of a year, its former satellite nations commenced declarations of independence, and by 1990, Germany was reunited. The Cold War had drawn to a close and the Soviet Union itself unraveled the following year. Final summary. The central message is this. The Cold War originated from a contest between the US and the Soviet Union, each vying to shape a new international order in the aftermath of World War II. The contention was fueled by national security concerns and geopolitical aspirations of the two superpowers. While it kicked off in Europe, it rapidly sprawled out to Southeast Asia and eventually, the rest of the world. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating,